presentation on God's Witness Protection Program. Uh, this is really a follow-up from last week, uh, pulling together uh, the last part of one of the pieces of what we call uh, God's Witness Protection Program. So uh, the, where we're going to be going today is we're really going to be talking about passion. And I, I really like this cartoon. Honey, have you seen my passion anywhere? Try looking in your childhood, dear. Um, I get a lot of questions about passion. I especially get them from people who feel like they don't have any or don't know where it, what direction it really is. And for others who feel like they have so many passions, they don't know which one to follow. So today, I really want to hit this thing because there are many ideas around this concept of passion. Many things that the world promotes about the role and the importance of passion. We started this series with an understanding out of 2 Corinthians that we are a new creation, that the old has passed away and now the new is taking hold. And, and we see this kind of framing it in this, in this concept of the Witness Protection Program because uh, when you go into the Witness Protection Program, you leave your old life of crime, you leave your old acquaintances, uh, you make a new way of making a living, you have new friends, you have a new identity, you're a new person. Nothing familiar. You can't go back to anything. That great pizza place, you can't go back. Those haunts that really were the substance of your life for years and years, you can't go back. We discovered that the core influences on this life, this ability to change, has to do with how we invest our person, our mind, our money. What about our mind? There has to be a transformation, a changing of the mind to the new person, a new way of thinking, new attitudes. Very difficult, very difficult to become a new person. And then our circle, our circle of friends, our circle of acquaintances, it all has to change. What will it look like? So often when people leave, maybe they're in a drug culture and they go to another city, it takes them no time at all to find the drug culture. It's because they weren't able to change. They weren't able to get out of familiar. They find familiar. We do that. So that is the work, a new circle, a circle that actually reflects and nurtures this new life. Our activities have to be of the new life. All of these things have to produce new life and the stuff that is unfamiliar. And then finally, our school, our job, our career, all of those things have to focus on producing something of the new life, nothing familiar. And then we read and we studied where God's tools will never fail. The tools of power, of love, and of self-discipline. The third one is the most difficult for us. Because we have a lot of latitude, a lot of power. We have a lot of power to say yes or no to the familiar and the unfamiliar. 
We feel like we don't. We act like we don't. But the power is ours. And that's what God says. My love and my power are behind your discipline. You get to choose. We ended that with these five points. The nature of today, this world, is not life. This is what God is saying in the scripture. It's not life. Number two, God reveals value in this life. He demonstrates value. He shows us what real value is. And the life of this world will not produce life. And we see in the scripture where Jesus, even in his own ministry, the people grabbed the wrong thing. They were more impressed with being fed than the reality of a living Savior. Because they address the current problem in this world. And that the troubles of this world are not an indicator of value or life. We looked at a new way of thinking that thoughts are going to have to be checked. God has given us a guard that's going to be between our thoughts and our processing. Any thought can come in, but you must decide if it gets processed. Because if you process that thought, it will produce attitude, it will produce activity. No matter what you do, it will produce. If you think on it, it will give birth. And if you follow it in James, ultimately, things that aren't of God produce death. And they produce it in you. And they produce it in me and the people that we love. And we see that this process of the new life, God is deconstructing the old life and he is empowering the new And he calls us into that process of deconstructing and nurturing and empowering. Then finally, last week, we looked at job and school. We looked at the role they play, how they're common. They both consume very large amounts of our time. They both have great power to create a circle of influence. If you go to school, you will have friends there. Or if you're a loner and struggle, you'll have anti-friends there, all right? People who make your life miserable at that school. Same way at work. But we should be producing life for you and others wherever we go to school, wherever we work. In the United States, our work, our school, provides us some margin of freedom of what we will do and who we will be. That is not true in many parts of the world. But that is a privilege we have here. Now, we take that privilege and we make it often the epicenter, the central point of our thinking of our life is what do I want to do? And the world gives you a model to hang that on. And that model looks something like this. It's life's journey. It's basic school, higher education, career, then make money, job security, provide a good life, help kids, retire, die, and leave what's left over to others. That's the model you're given. You can measure it any way you want. How full you lived your life, how much you left behind, maybe some combination of the two. But at the end of the day, that is the typical model that people use to value their life. Here's the power of that life in school and job. The friends you find, the identity you build, the way you belong, 
how you gain in personal value and purpose. Those are things that your job are going to give you. At the end of your days, you would have been an engineer, a machinist, a homemaker, a carpenter, a scientist, a pilot. You would have been something. And typically, you are not that as a job anymore at some point. At some point, it changes. And then finally, we looked at a man named Chris Borland, who retired at the age of 24 from football, right when his career was starting. What makes him so interesting to me is here is a man who ate, slept, breathed football with all his passion every single day of his life. I was reading more on Chris Borland. He has a 53-inch vertical jump. He's 5'11". I, I, I have a hard time going down, much less up that distance. He can do a standing backflip and land in, the squ- in, the, in a um, splits. I don't even like to think about that. You don't get to that level of conditioning without putting everything into it. His love and his passion was football. But I love his statement. Do what you're passionate about. Play at a level, a high level. But never forget, it's what you do, not who you are. God is incredibly interested in what you do, but he's more interested in who you are. And it's where passion can take us in the wrong direction. I have some quotes. There are thousands online. You can go and read them. But I have a few of them that are up here for you. Whatever you decide to do, make sure it makes you happy. You will have a miserable life if you pursue that. If you don't wake up in the morning excited to pick up where you left off yesterday, you haven't found your calling yet. Follow your passion, and success will follow you. Discover you. Find your passion, life, purpose, and take action. Actually, I really like Stephen Jobs. Your work is going to be, fill a large part of your life, and the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you will know when you find it. And like any great relationship, it just gets better and better as the years go on. So keep looking until you find it. Don't settle. Everybody wants you to find it you got to go find it. What did you do with it? Passion is about which way do I want to go. You see, in this quest to satisfy, in this quest to say, ah, that's it, that's my groove, that's my sweet spot, this is a thing that makes Work, not work for me. 
in our quest to find that. We move between survival and finding other purposes and reasons for living. And neither one of those was given to you by God. You have a reason to live. You have a purpose for your life. It's not survival. It's not to fly airplanes. It's not to preach. You have a reason. You have a reason, a purpose of your life. What Jesus would go further to say is, you have a passion that's already been given to you. In the world's model, we struggle with the competing economics. I gave this to you last week. The world economy, maximize what you get. Plan for your future so that you can do what you want. Make enough to have all the possessions you want. And other people travel, and so you should be able to travel too and go where you want. A lot of want. God's economy, don't focus on building wealth. Your career is with me. We'll have a job for you along the way, maybe three, maybe four. You might be an engineer, you might be a pilot, you might be unemployed, I don't know. We don't know what we're going to do with you, but your career is with me. Passion and rewards are rooted in him. I want you to get that. Passion and rewards, they're rooted in him. And people will be your inheritance. It's just what the scripture tells us. So here's the demand we all put on careers. When we say our passion, our career needs to be the same thing. So when I get up in the morning, I'm always ready to go to work. And I've had jobs like that. I've had jobs where I had to pray to go to work because I hated it. And I had jobs where I couldn't wait to get to work every day. Sometimes here, sometimes I pray to get to work. I'm in the middle somewhere. I was talking to a friend of mine, a DC-9 pilot. Fly, he used to fly for Continental. And he said, you know, the amazing thing is they pay me to do what I do. They pay me money. He's right. Most pilots will do it for free. They're like musicians. They're messed up. They'll, they'll do it for free. Back when I was training to fly, there was a company in Florida you paid them $8,000, and they would let you fly as co-pilot for a year. What sounds wrong with that? They needed co-pilots. I needed a flying job. I get the experience. They get eight grand to let me get experience in their airplane. It's an anti-job. It's the opposite of a job. The demands we put on our career is to meet all the needs here. Our passion, our value, our identity, our social needs, our career is supposed to do that. And that's why it's so important that you find something that you're passionate about. But the problem is, what if you're working a menial, difficult, minimum wage job that no one else wants, but it's the only one someone will give you? and you're not passionate about it. 
What if your struggle with leaving that job and getting another job is you'll have to train at something, you're really not passionate at something that you can think of, so you don't really even know how to go forward and find your passion. And we become stuck. Because our career and our, all these things take up so much of our life, they are supposed to give you, at the end of the day, a full life. Nothing left undone and no regrets. That's the job we want. That's the career I'm interested in. When Jack Nicholson did the movie The Bucket List, do you know what his bucket list was after he did that movie? My bucket list is, I'd like to do one more good movie. What do you think his bucket list will be after that movie? One more good movie. He's not fulfilled. He doesn't want to stop. He's not at a place where he can hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. He's not at a place where he feels like his race is finished. And what he puts in the race is another movie. And I can't think of a better actor than Jack Nicholson. Whether you like him or not, his acting, my opinion, is as good as it is on the planet. Every time he plays a part, I believe him. Um, Sherry? She's going to read something for us. Passion. For a while, this word drove me crazy. I found it intimidating, overwhelming, and way too much of a commitment to say that something was my passion. It seems like everyone is always talking about how you need to find your passion, follow it, live it. Although I eventually made peace with the word, I still go a little crazy when people talk specifically about finding their passion. Find your passion? It's not a lost puppy, people. You can't just look around for your passion. It's not hiding under a rock or in your sock drawer or in the third floor guest room closet. You didn't leave it at the beach. You didn't forget it in your friend's car. I agree with this lady. I'm, I'm a passionate person. I, I'm passionate. I, I always kind of looked at passion as something that is innate. It's there. But I think it's different than we discuss like that. I don't think it's necessarily ready-made. You might think that that particular thing sounds uh, depressing, demoralizing. You know, uh, my passion is not a puppy. You can't find it. What this person would say is, it doesn't exist yet. This person would suggest that it's not something that's dormant and you have to find it. But it's aptitude 
that you're born with, an affinity for things, a natural inclination, a personality. It's stuff that's built into us. The reason I think I see passion differently is because I think we, are a, we can be passionate people. People have different levels of passion. But it doesn't make your passion always correct. It doesn't make your passions the best compass for your life. Many people are passionate for very destructive things. Many people follow their passions into destruction. But the scripture describes a passion that is rooted in truth. It's rooted in a truth about Jesus and about God and about you and me. And it describes passion like anything else. It must be grown. It must be nurtured. It must be fed. This new passion, this new life that you're going to take on, if you don't allow it to become a passion, if you don't let God's priority, God's value for who you are begin to be nurtured and take life in itself, then you're just going to be someone left with God rules. They're just do's and they're don'ts. That's all they are. And you're going to be like the person in the witness protection program that you're going to go back to the pizzeria. You're going to go back to the time at least you were living your passions. You see, people who go into the witness protection program of the federal government, they were passionate about things. They were passionate about money. They were passionate about power. They were passionate about prestige. They were passionate about a lot of things. They took great risk to gain those things. And now you want them to stay in a small, sleepy town and be an invisible human. works at a store, home at 5.30 every day. You begin to see why people go back. They're going back to the last place they found passion. Where they lived a life that was worth taking a risk for. So how does that fit for someone who works in a machine shop deburring parts for minimum wage? Or someone who works at McDonald's or Burger King for minimum wage? For someone who's 30 and works for someone who's 19? Where's their passion in that? Where's the risk in that? Where's the potential? in that. We're going to move through these quickly. The scripture gives us advice. Number one, don't be fooled. Go to work so you can be generous. 
Not so you can have a car that's big and fancy. So you can be generous. Get a job. We're created with a purpose. You're already created with a purpose. You have a job, career already laid out for you. It's walking life with him. The Lord's work is the only work that does not represent a temporary value. The job is not always easy in the moment. It's not always rewarding in the moment. And when we follow I, when we follow I want, we can often wind up working against the plan of God. We studied somebody named Jonah who did that last Tuesday night. God told him to go that way. He went that way. And job and school, you're working for Jesus. That's what it says. Do the work like you're doing it for Jesus because that's who you're working for. In this life, does your job define you? Does it consume you? Does it use you up? Does it control your money? Does it give you spiritual life or does it take away your spiritual life? The rules we're going to discover about this, I put them under four categories. Passion, purpose, money, and time. It's what you've got. They're all wrapped up in opportunities until the day you stop. We're going to go back to passion. We're going to do a little bit of a Bible study here. Another word for passion. You know, there are many character qualities that God has in the Scripture. Perseverance, kindness, power, integrity, all those things. But there's one that we've neglected a lot, and that's called zeal. You know, it's a very, another word very similar to passion. And, you know, if you look at the NIV and you look at all the places the word passion is used in the NIV, every single one of them is a negative context. Every single one of them. But it uses this word zeal. And it's the original word zeal. It's translated in many ways. We're going to look at a few of those. And just for our Bible scholars here, the word is zelos or zelotes, and that is the word used for zeal or zealous. It's one burning with a zeal, one burning with a passion, used of God. It's one that invokes jealousy. When God says he has a zeal for you, he has a jealousy for you, um, it's it's. Most eagerly, it's desirous. It is, it is about, it is about um, a focus that comes 
out of the truth. It has the power to defend, to uphold. That's why it empowers self-discipline. You see, zeal and passion are the very root of why self-discipline can work. It's because when we believe in the truth and when we know and understand that we have a purpose and we let God nurture that passion in us, then your job doesn't have to do it for you. Then the pressure is not on your spouse to be everything you need. Then you can work at McDonald's and still be a zealot, be a passionate, a zealous person for something because Jesus has called each of us to be a passionate and zealous person for the truth, for the kingdom of God that is breaking into this life. The idea behind the word zealous and this passion. Uh, uh, this passage includes the following meanings. Desire earnestly to pursue, to strive after, to busy oneself. Do you see how all-inclusive it is? To exert oneself as to hold on to one another. The word oozes with intensity, with frenzy. It has a power in it. You see, to be zealous for God, to be zealous for the Scripture, is to pursue it. To go after it. To see it of value. You see, a person like you or I need to believe in its utmost importance because it is actually transformational. It's because it has the power to change you and I. Instead of changing the job so that you're passionate, what Jesus wants to do is change you and I so we are passionate. That's part of the witness protection program. Nothing familiar. Your passions will be changed. Jesus was passionate. John 2, 17. Then his disciples, remember, this is after he turned over all the tables for the money changers. He drove everybody out of the temple. He said, then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scripture. Passion, zeal for God's house will consume me. You can see how it's used a little differently in a very practical way. 1 Peter 3, 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager? That's the word. That's the word zealous. That's the word passionate right there. If you are eager to do good, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. If you are passionate, First Corinthians 14, 12, so it is with you, since you are passionate, since you are zealous, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. The Bible is full of passion. It recognizes 
the power and the importance that you and I are passionate, that that inside internal mojo that we all want to help drive us is absolutely created by God for the purpose of God. But it's not about your job. It's not about the career. It's about your purpose and your identity wherever you are. First Corinthians 12, 11 through 14. It's actually 10 through 14. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. He wrote them a letter that really got onto them. And for some of them, it really turned them in the right direction. What earnestness, what eagerness, what passion, what zealousness. Same word. It's the same word in the Greek. To clear yourself, to move on, to change, to move where nothing is familiar. Jesus was passionate for you and I. In Titus 2, 11 through 14, it talks about leaving behind worldly passions and live self-controlled, self-disciplined. Why? Verse 14, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager, passionate, zealous. That word eager, same word. Passionate to do what is good. Jesus is looking to raise you and I up as a passionate people. The ultimate measure of zealousness. The ultimate measure of passion. Did it change us? Galatians 5, through 25. For the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions. Those are the bad passions. Um... And the desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And then finally in Revelation 3, 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest. Be zealous. Be passionate. And repent.
So I like this under passion, one of those that I found online. Don't follow your passion. Lead your passion. Nurture the passion God has given you. Your role is to recognize the truth and to put that truth to work and to follow that truth, to bring your abilities into it, to bring your affinity into it, to bring in your personality into it. It'll look very different from one person to the next. One person here, if I say, give me a passionate yay, yay. But don't fool yourself. That doesn't mean they're not passionate. What you may find, that person might be quiet. That person might be shy. But it might be one of those icebergs that goes all the way to the bottom. Don't kid yourself. Passion doesn't have to look like I look right now. Passion can look any way you look. It's not about how you look. It's not about how you sound. It's about what is here, what's driving you. What is the substance upon which you make a decision, upon which you say a yes or you say a no, or you go forward or you go backward? What is driving you? What is your conviction about life? This life will trip you. This life will cause you to struggle about reading the value of life. I run into it all the time. I ran into it yesterday. Went over to start some scuba lessons. And I don't know why I'm not used to this yet, but I'm not. They're great, ready to take your money, and they just hand you this little form. This little form has, it's a medical form. But when you have to put, like, a heart attack on there, you immediately have to go back and get a, a note from your doctor. You know, I just wish I had, like, a dozen notes from my doctor I could just keep at home. Because I can't, I can't do anything without somebody wanting a note from my doctor. I can't tell you how much I hate that. I mean, I know I just had back surgery, but I'm in good shape. And I could drop down and do 50 right here, right now. I absolutely can. But I can't scuba dive I can't do anything without a doctor's permission. Now, part of that is legal issues. But I'll tell you what else it is. It messes me up. Really bugs me. The world will trip you up on what's important, what's valuable. Too often, people's senses are dulled by the world's intensity to distract us with the latest and greatest things 
that we probably don't need. That we can't focus enough to be intense about God. God has truth and blessing that he wants to bring to bear upon all aspects of your life. How you invest on your mind, on your job, your career, on your attitudes. But we must yield to him in willing obedience. Repenting of where we have gone wrong and being zealous for him. Do you know that we're purified by that? That's what it says in Psalm 119. Zeal, get this, zeal is measured ultimately by how it consumes us. It's ultimately measured how much is it consuming us. By what is left after the purifying fire of God. When we go back to the things we get from a job. Next. That's what Jesus wants to offer you. I'll be the anchor in your circle of relationships. I'll be the one to craft your identity. And when you lose your nice job and you're working for McDonald's for minimum wage, I'll be the one who decides who and what you are not McDonald's. When you have a heart attack and you can't do things that you used to could do, I'll be the one who decides who and what you are. So often, our passions are all over the place, but they're rarely focused on the one who gives you life and can give you that full life where everything that you needed to get done was done with no regrets. Jesus is raising us up, transforming us to be passionate about him. As we were studying with a group I study with on Tuesday nights, the book of Jonah. If you don't know the story, he sent, jo- I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Jonah. He sent, God sent Jonah to the people of Nineveh to really pass a judgment on them. He did not want to go. The reason he didn't want to go is he knew God's motive. The evil, mean, 
aggressive people of Nineveh where there's 120,000 souls. He knew that God loved him. Although he was sending judgment, he knew the motive of his God. You really are doing this because you love them. Your intention is really not to kill them with judgment. He didn't want to warn them. But God had his ways. God got him there. Jonah gave the judgment. They all repented, every one of them, even the animals. And Jonah was, I knew it. I knew this would happen. Because that's just the kind of God you are. Know that your God is passionate about the people around you. He's passionate. And he's going to share that passion with you. If you would stand.